Good to see you all again. Uh, we are wrapping up our series today on Esther. Uh, it has been quite a journey, uh, lots of uh, wonderful conversations. And my hope and encouragement to all of you, if you have missed any of those previous weeks, to get online and catch up uh, so that the depth and the wonder of this story and some of the things that we are even speaking of today uh, uh, take on their full impact as we consider the journey that the people of Israel went through in the time of King Xerxes. Queen Esther, and Mordecai, and the bad guy, Haman. And these are uh, stories that are intended, the scripture tells us, to give us hope, to give us hope in the realities that you and I face. And also, as we will see today, to give us example, uh, things to consider as we compare the realities of their situations with ours and the implications that their example uh, has on the way that we are perceiving, viewing, engaging with this wild and crazy thing called life. So, that being said, I have uh, made this observation about my family. There seems to be this genetic predisposition to uh, a competitiveness. I don't know where that came from, honestly. I'm thinking maybe their mother. Um, but uh, my, my daughter is all very, very, and son, very, very competitive people. And my daughters who are married, uh, oddly, have married very competitive guys. And so the competitiveness in our home has escalated exponentially at this point. So we don't just play cards we don't just have board games. We don't just play 21 or horse in the driveway. No, it's world championships <laughs> every single day. And if there is no ball to be found, we will use rocks and sticks. It just doesn't matter because we must know who the champion is. It's imperative. And in any said activity, be it a card game or a board game, we have a reigning champion. Uh, everybody knows who that reigning champion is. And if any should dare to forget, that reigning champion will remind everybody that they are indeed the reigning champion. It's got so bad that we even keep tally mark scores inside the cupboard in our kitchen with who's winning and how many victories they have because it is imperative to know who the greatest is. Who is the greatest? And if I had a Muhammad Ali imitation, I would throw that in right here, but I don't insert that, that imitation. So the greatest of all time, we've heard that, haven't we? These these uh, past few weeks as the Olympics roll on and we see world records, Olympic records falling, people getting this title or argued about it. And if you've heard this expression, goat, it's not one of uh, a defamation, okay? This is an endearing term. It stands for greatest of all time, in case you were wondering. People calling people goats, you're thinking, that's kind of rude. Well, in this context, not so much. 
Uh, and then we have to argue about who the greatest of all time is, and that can, can waste countless hours. Because somehow, as a culture, as a people, the greatest is important to us. We ponder that question about greatness. And I think there's even something in our makeup from our creator that nudges us, desires us to want to be great people. And as any issue or topic uh, that arises that we converse about, we understand that the world that we live in, who the scripture says, uh, the God of this world, little g, has influence over to the degree that God allows him, capital G. And so this world and its system presents a different understanding, a different perspective of anything that we would talk about that would be in contradiction to what God would present in his word and in his person in Jesus as to what something really means. And so when we come to this conversation about greatness, which is on full display here in these last three verses of this last chapter of the book of Esther, we are confronted with these two very different perspectives on greatness. The greatness the world presents and the greatness that the Word presents. And they are in no way, shape, or form ever, ever close to one another. And so it is important that we understand greatness in the perspective that God would give us so that we are not about wanting to be great in the way that the world says to be great because it consumes unbelievable amounts of time, energy, and resources, which I don't need to tell you are very limited in our lives. So let's jump in. We are in Esther 10. We're looking at these first three verses. We're considering this question of greatness. King Xerxes imposed a tribute throughout his empire, even to the distant coastlands. Some translation even to some of the islands that he had power over. His great achievements and the full account of the greatness of Mordecai, whom the king had promoted, are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Media and Persia. Mordecai the Jew became the prime minister with authority next to that of King Xerxes himself. He was very great among the Jews who held him in high esteem because he continued to work for the good of his people and to speak up for the welfare of all their descendants. And so here in these two men, we find most, a most dramatic uh, 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 contrast of greatness. It begins with this king, this Medo-Persian king, Xerxes, or King Ahasuerus, same guy, who ruled, if you will remember from previous conversation, over 127 provinces or satraps from, and if you can get this in your mind, India all the way 
to Ethiopia and everywhere in between. And at this point, even though he had lost some of these Grecian wars, he still had possession of some of the islands in the Mediterranean. The man ruled over them all. He ruled over them to such an extent, to such a degree, that he could, he could put a imposition of tribute or taxation upon all these people groups. He had an organization and a method set up and established to such a degree administrated so that in some town in Ethiopia there is somebody collecting taxes that is going to end up in Persia in, the, in Susa, the king's headquarters. You, you kind of get a sense for the reality there. It's really quite staggering. And this man had that kind of power. And the achievement of the organization of such an empire, again, really, really impressive. How do you keep such a thing together? All these different people groups, all these different languages, all these different customs, and yet they all remained under his authority and his, his power. And so we see in Xerxes the presentation of greatness as the world would present it to us. Here is somebody, an individual, who held power over other people. He was a possessor of a wealth that we probably wouldn't be able to even translate into our dollars. He had accomplished this, this and inherited and, and, and kept in place this incredibly expansive kingdom. Wow, the achievements of this man. So as we look at worldly greatness, we see words like power achievement, wealth, uh, influence, fame, the applause of others, the bowing down to from others. All of these things are in play in this person of Xerxes the king. So important here that the writer of Esther present us this contradiction so that as we, we move on from this story, we aren't confused about what real greatness is. Real greatness isn't power, influence, achievement, all of these types of things that we hear heralded in our culture. This is the message that the world tells us greatness is. And it's so important we understand that so that when we come across and we go to the Word and allow God to present what true greatness is, we, we don't get confused. If we're confused about what greatness is, we're going to be uh, going down a lot of rabbit trails that end up into brick walls. Being great in the eyes of God and the kingdom of heaven isn't being wealthy or popular or well-known or able to do that which nobody else can do. If our lives are oriented in those ways, there's a gut check. Ooh, hold on. 
Hold on. Greatness isn't about us and the applause of others. Greatness is about something very, very different. And this perspective is brought up to us again and again, and Jesus himself both modeled and taught repeatedly about greatness and what it is in the kingdom of God to be great. He did not say, for example, lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, the greatness of the world. He said, no, 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 you lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven, those things that can't be stolen, they don't rot and they don't wear out. Those things in heaven that are reserved for you, these treasures, you send ahead. Your life is lived in such a way that you are sending ahead treasures in heaven. Lay up for those treasures, not the treasures that this whole earth can afford, for they are temporary and they will be here today and they will be gone tomorrow. Treasures in heaven are laid up Jesus said through love, love, the greatest command, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And love is expressed through service, through giving of oneself to the betterment, the improvement of the caretaking of other people's lives. Jesus had to tell the disciples, look, I didn't come here, the Son of Man, God in the flesh, I didn't come here to be served, the world's definition of greatness. I came to serve. And I serve because it's an expression of the divine love into the reality of those whom he has created, and we are invited into this true greatness by following in the footsteps of Jesus, embracing his definition of true greatness. I'll throw this statement out to you, and I believe it's a, a Tom original, but uh, Andrew, you can fact check me on that. Here we go. Great is great only if great is great for somebody else. Great is great only if it is great for somebody else, not me. Now, those of you who are entrepreneurial and you take that statement, maybe put it on a coffee cup, a t-shirt, a bumper sticker, and you sell it and make some money, my only expectation is that you take Mandy and I out for dinner when you become a millionaire. That, that, that's going to be our deal, all right? But you can have at it. If you remember nothing else today, please remember that. That great is great only if great is great for others. For others. So we, we, see, we see this king. We see the full greatness of the world in him. He is being contrasted with his prime minister, who is also, we're told here in verse 2, that his greatness is also recorded, and they're both recorded in the same book, the history of the kings of Media and Persia. Sadly, we don't have a copy of that book. Uh, it was lost in time and history, but perhaps uh, God may grace us 
uh, with that discovery someday as archaeologists continue to unearth things from the ancient past. But both of them are recorded. Both of them are recorded for the same reason. They were both great. But was Mordecai great in the sense that Xerxes was great? And I believe we already know that to be a rhetorical question. No. How was he different? What marked his greatness? Does it not sound like what Jesus was talking about when he says, I didn't come to serve, but I've come to serve. Service, we find out, is growing out of the position that we have, that it is the platform for service. So, here is Mordecai's position. He is prime minister. This is, this is a position of influence, a position of power. So maybe one could argue, well, he's got worldly greatness. Who are you kidding? Well, perhaps, but where is his heart with his position? How is it exercised? Is Jesus, does he not possess the name that is above every name? Is he not the king of kings, the lord of lords, all, you know, mighty, absolutely, and that position that he has before the Father was used as a platform for service, and so did Mordecai. He understood that for such a time as the, as the one he lived in, that God had placed him in this position to be a person of service looking out for the well-being of his people. And it's so important that we understand that because you and I, wherever we are and whatever position we hold today, is intended by God to be a platform for you to serve others. You, you may be, I don't know, you may be a teacher, you may work in a factory, you may be an accountant, you may be a, 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 a whatever, 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 fill in the blank. Wherever you are in life, whatever your, your, your call, whatever that is, it is not just for you. It's a platform that God has given you to be a tool in his hands to carry the good news and the love of Jesus to others in very specific ways, which we'll talk about in a second. Your position is a platform. Perhaps we're retired today. Well, I don't know what my... Oh, retirement in and of itself is yet another platform for service. An opportunity to be used by God to minister in those ways that he gives you day in and day out. We are in our jobs, if we are working, not for us. It isn't about money to pay our bills. Ultimately, it's about representing our Savior in such a way that we are bright, like light that opens up people to something they could not see before. We encounter people in such a way that we live salty. We make them thirsty for somebody they haven't met yet. That's the role of your position. Well, I'm not just simply putting data in a computer, running down a few phone calls, fixing a few broken things. No, 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 no. You're representing. 
And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, you do all to the glory of God. And then uh, our positions, our platforms for service. Mordecai understood that. He embraced that. All of that, the, the, all that that would mean for him in his world. And that was the essence of his greatness that was recorded. Talk to some people sometimes. They say, my position is, you know, well, how do I serve God in what I do? I'm a blah, blah, blah. Oh, my goodness. I'm just a, and I go, oh, don't ever tell me I'm just a. You, where you are, and what you do, is positioned in a way that no one else on planet earth can be. Nobody has your gifts, your experience, your talents. Nobody has the circles of influence that you have. It's you or it's nobody. And the particular place you find yourself is not accidental. It's an opportunity. It's a platform to be a tool in the hands of God to expand the kingdom of God until he says, come home. There's no retirement from the platforms of service. There's no, well, my job doesn't count or my thing isn't really a part of the kingdom's kind of talk. No. It is. And never is anything that is in your life meant exclusively for you. Hmm. It's time for our perspective to be adjusted to the degree that it comes more in line with the example of Mordecai and the teaching of Jesus so that we all experience what Jesus described as life and life to the fullest. If I do not believe that where I am has significance for the kingdom, then I get very discouraged and frustrated and my joy is sapped. Mm. Verse 3, we find something out about what it was that made uh, Mordecai's days full and significant. Service is present tense. So because he was held in high esteem, why? Because he continued to. He continued to. Too often, service in our heart and minds is, is something uh, 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 akin to a, a daily to-do list. And I go, hey, serve somebody. Check. Off I go. Uh, continue to is a present tense imperative. This is something that I am doing. It is not something that I have done and now I move on. It's not something I set aside for the future. I will, I will, I'll be in, you know, engaged in serving tomorrow at 12 when I have this appointment with somebody. Present tense action and words. 
And so serving is a now, it is right now, it is always, we are always in this place of serving. And it grows out of, and this will not be a surprise, out of the new identity we have in Christ when we accepted Jesus as our Savior. Created a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. The life that is set on self, set on this world, now moves I joyfully concur, Paul says, with the law of God in the inner man. The new me loves God's word, loves to be used by God, loves to honor God, loves, loves to be somebody who God uses to change the world. It's part of who we are. It'll be expressed in love through service of those around us. Mm. In both actions, as he says, work for the good of his people. He was doing things. And then he says, and to speak up for the welfare of. We were working, so there's works, there's actions. We're speaking up, there are words. So that service is an all-encompassing reality in our lives. Service isn't simply me doing something. It isn't simply me saying something. It is me being fully engaged in word and deed. Look at the ministry of Jesus. Was not work always accompanied by his words? Is there not healing and deliverance? Grace being extended along with the teaching that he would give people? He lived in perfect balance. Sometimes you and I can get off balance because we're not, we're not in that place of understanding or being attentive to what service will look like in our lives. It's complete surrender. Total surrender. There is there's no, there's no token surrender to the authority uh, of the Spirit of God. I'm either surrendered or I'm, I'm playing some game that God isn't playing with me. And service becomes a token thing. I'm going to serve. I'm going to do this service thing and then I'm going to go do my thing. Ah, check, check. And, and it's like, whoa, wait a minute. That's not what the word presents. Get up on the altar and stay there. There. In that place of surrender, are we in that place to experience uh, uh, Christ's power, the Holy Spirit leading us, giving us both the desire and the power to do that which pleases God, not on occasion, not by schedule, although it could be, but it is complete and in its entire. See, a, a, a token surrender leads to a token life. And nobody here wants to live a token life. We all, if in an honest moment, would say, I want to live a great life. I want my life to matter. I want it to count. And assessing that the way that the world does, well, how much money do you have? What have you accomplished? How many people know you? How many likes do you got on your post? Blah, blah, blah. You, you, you try to assess your value and worth in those terms, you will never experience the wonder of what it was like in Mordecai's world to see 
the hand of God at work all around him. Never once in Esther is the word of God mentioned. Never once is anybody praying. Never once does anybody claim they got a word from God or a vision or a dream, nowhere. But through the entire story, the fingerprints of God's hand, his providential movement in the life of people and circumstances to accomplish the great wonder of this deliverance for the people of Israel. And Mordecai was in the middle of it all. The risk, the danger, the thrill, the pressure, all of it was all there. He, in this incredible storyline together with, with his cousin Esther, and they chose complete surrender. Great is great, only if great is great for others. Mm. May I ask you, as I ask myself, are you on the path to greatness? I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Which greatness? The greatness of the world or the greatness of God? Listen. Esther was the woman of the moment. And she rose in surrender, willing to lay down her life. She was the woman of that moment. Ladies, you are the woman of this moment. Mordecai was the man of that moment for such a time as that. Men, you are the man of this moment. time each and every one of us rise up to true greatness by laying ourselves down because great is great only if great is great for somebody else Father I thank you for your word I thank you for the wonder of it I thank you that the examples that we see, the stories that we read are opportunities for us to engage with wonderful conversations with you and with each other. And I pray that the power of your word, because it is alive, because it is your word, would find fertile soil in our hearts that as we take inventory with the help of your Holy Spirit of all the people around us in our lives, in our circle of influence, that we take a look and we take inventory of all those people that we see that their feet are clean because we are washing them. This is the privilege of the child of God. 
May we embrace it. In your name, amen.